and we are rolling. Um, welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Martin Burns. Um, this is a new platform uh, in which I hope to build a series of discussions with incredibly special people doing amazing things for the world. Uh, recurring theme throughout this series, if it actually goes that long, um, will be innovation. Um, so that counts for innovation in technology, innovation in different industries through various means, innovation in art, innovation in the investment world. Um, we'll cover many different topics um, in many different industries uh, over the coming weeks and months. Um, but all really centered around giving innovators uh, a platform with which they can talk and which they can talk openly about what they're working on and how they see the world and plan to change it ideally for the better. Um, so just a little introduction on myself and the kind of thought behind this, and then we'll get to our first guest, uh, who is a real treat um, for the first episode. Um, so look, my view on media um, in general, and this goes for a lot of different types of media, I'm mainly talking about mainstream and then how that's reflected in social media and general discussion in public forums, um, is that it focuses far too much on things that have no real grand importance in the scheme of things um, and things like real scientific breakthroughs encouraging developments in technology um, and how within a capitalist system innovation actually happens um, how companies get created and grown and get financed um, and giving them the fuel in various different means to be successful and take their medicine their technology whatever it is to the market and to a place where it can actually help people. Um, this doesn't really get talked about in the mainstream. Um, and I think there aren't anywhere near enough platforms um, to discuss these kinds of topics um, and give amazing people who are doing incredible things uh, a space in which they can talk and, and make people more aware of what they're doing and make that more of the mainstream rhetoric. Um, so um, I consider myself to be in a very lucky uh, and privileged position in that I have worked um, for most of the last 15 years in consulting, um, building a career working with some incredible companies across many different industries, focusing from my point of view, mainly on commercial strategy, business development, partnership development and fundraising. Um, for the last 10 years, uh, I've been focused pretty much exclusively on working with startup and growth stage companies and helping them build their businesses. Founders I work with uh, tend to be in large part very scientific, technical people um, who are incredible at developing technologies, um, medicines, whatever their, their, their product may be. Um, but are faced with a real challenge of having to within the system as it operates in in certainly in the western world for the most part um building a business around that in order to get it to market and in order for it to ultimately make a positive impact on society as a whole so such is the system we live in it's kind of a it's kind of a yin yang like innovation is largely at the mercy of private markets which in a free society quote unquote is an amazing thing for being able to have the freedom to do things and build things in the first place. Um, but when it actually comes to taking something that can make a positive impact on the world and benefit large numbers of people, um, it's then necessary to commit, talking from a founder's point of view, years of one's life to uh, 
uh, to build a business out of it um, to make it sustainable for them to survive for the you know for the product to get out there to the market um, and it requires networks it requires investors it requires sacrifices uh, many of which many people just can't make or don't have and certainly no small feat um, and it requires as I say, an extensive matrix of different partners, minds, expertise, investment, um, and frankly, no small amount of luck um, to build a business, um, particularly one that relies on on intellectual property value into something sustainably successful. Um, so I do my best to try and be the bridge between um, different people, different communities, different ecosystems around the world. Um, I get to travel a lot um, and I meet millions well i say millions thousands of different founders investors partners around the world um over a long time and i try as as best i can to bring these people together for for the benefit of, of everyone and create a more collaborative environment uh within the startup world which lends itself quite well to it um so for those of us who stick around a long time in the startup world which generally tends to be by happy accident um there is great difficulty in uh, maintaining oneself, uh, in finding the right pieces to put together in place um, and the right partnerships to put together in place to actually enable a business to be built and a product to get to market, as I say. So um, creating a better ecosystem and a more collaborative ecosystem is very important. Um, and with this podcast, um, the Renaissance podcast, uh, I want to give my clients, investor networks, partners, friends, a platform with which they can talk openly about interesting things that they're doing, things that they're developing, um, and, uh, and hopefully create more of an informed discussion um, in the mainstream around how we can change the world in a positive way. Um, so let's see where it goes. Uh, you can't start a fire without a spark, uh, as they as they say. So without further ado, um, I would like to welcome my first guest, um, an esteemed individual, to be sure, if there ever was one, um, an artist, a curator, a music production wizard, an international DJ superstar, an aging one, albeit. Uh, at once a government operator and underground hero, which is quite the combination, truly a double O agent for the digital age. Um, a highly skilled ethical hacker, so we've got a cybersecurity expert. Uh, most importantly, a proud Essex geezer and one of my dear friends. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the founder of Unhacked, Moogs O'Donnell. Insert Hi. applause. Hello, thank you for such a kind introduction, Chris. My pleasure. Uh, it's great to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Um, I really appreciate you doing this. Um, you and I have known each other for, I guess, nearly 10 years, uh, give or take, uh, something like that anyway, um, and have had various different interesting experiences together over the years. Um, but uh, recently, um, I've had the pleasure of helping you out to a small extent on working with you and and trying to provide a little bit of expertise into into what you're trying to do with Unhacked, um, which is built on a really, really uh, admirable mission um, in trying to increase online security uh, for individuals and businesses. Um, but we can get into that in a minute. Um, 
why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself, about your your career, your work, um, and then maybe get into what that what's that what's led you to the idea behind Unhack, the mission behind it, um, and what you're actually trying to achieve with it. Absolutely. So I've been a uh, I've been in the hacker scene since uh, the late nineties, and I did my first professional gigs with uh, NatWest and uh, I did Procter and Gamble as well when I was 15. Um, and in the time since then, uh, I've seen one of my own uh, passions, which is the Linux operating system become completely u- ubiquitous. And the Linux operating system is apparently up to 90% of the internet now runs on Linux. Certainly everything that's in uh, somebody's home uh, anything which has any kind of user interface is going to be running on Linux. Now, the reason I mention that is because the Linux is open source software, which is by its nature free. Uh, and it's free software, which has been written by people that are volunteering their time and it's used by anybody that wants to use it. So in terms of the mission, it's basically it's for everyone by everyone. And that is uh, kind of a core part of my principles behind what I'm doing with Unhacked, um, as in making it available for the benefit of everyone. So I'll talk a bit uh, later on about what my um, what my goals are for Unhacked. But in the time since, say, 1999 and uh, today, I have been working with household name tech and uh, making products such as, um, such as the natwest.com, um, SUS Linux, the first enterprise Linux software, um, and uh, Shazam. I've worked on Skype, uh, the BlackBerry handsets, the Nokia handsets, and uh, as an engineer, uh, helped build uh, TV and streaming media platforms such as BBC iPlayer, uh, Sky Plus HD, um, and Sky Q, and Now TV. And that was, yeah, uh, a lot of my time was, was spent working in television about 15 years on uh, it basically addressing what I had when I was a kid was hacked cable. And we paid once and had it for free forever. So it effectively became my remit to help broadcasters to prevent that by doing ethical hacking and being a, uh, a lead on product security. So there was, there's no small... Um, like twists of fate in that um because actually i quite liked having free cable i thought it was great um uh, but one one thing i did a few years ago is i'd been uh working on the uh, chase uk bank and had uh, helped uh, to create that and i i decided really that that was a a turning point for me because i i had been working in education so i'd stopped working with corporations and started working with the education sector and found that I was able to make a difference in a way that really aligned with my principles. And now I work in uh, central government, and uh, that is also another way of kind of, of uh, approaching, helping as many people as possible, as many beneficiaries uh, uh, get the benefit of my work, which is not so much about the bottom line, but about how many people can be helped simultaneously with one small action. So, uh, yeah, I think basically to summarise, um, my favourite targets are government and nuclear. And I've had the opportunity to work with 
several global uh, nuclear organizations and working with things like nuclear reactor design or with CERN in Switzerland is something that I found very exciting because it feels like big red button stuff. And also, ultimately, it is that nuclear targets are extremely high value. Um, at a geopolitical level, of course. So, uh, yeah, I hope that gives you some insight. Basically, I love hacking the government. I love hacking nuclear reactor designs. Um, uh, but most importantly, I like to help people. Good. Uh, good for you. And, and thank you for, for everything that you do. Um, so if we're going to, if we're going to focus in on the cybersecurity space in general, um, and we're going to, we're going to take this towards a place of sort of talking about what's relevant to unhacked, um, which would be centered mainly around social media. Um, how do you see the cybersecurity space at a high level? Um, and do you think security and privacy rights for people in general online have kept up with technological innovation in the last well, 20 years i think that's a, that's a good question because it has uh, several tiers of answers so the first one is that like the the 10,000 foot view of cybersecurity is that it is a an impenetrable subject to anybody that is not involved in the industry and it contains a sense of uh, i think dryness like that there is a lot of complacency for the layperson around cybersecurity. And that comes down to communication. I think that we know that we shouldn't be using the same password for everything, for example, but we kind of still are. And the language that is used to encourage people by like the government and by, for example, a pop-up in your browser telling you that you've got breached accounts or, or that those kind of are considered really nuisances and boring and like yawn inducing uh, provocations. That kind of that kind of distance between the layperson and cybersecurity is what Unhacked is here to address. So the view of cybersecurity from people that are outside of it is that a lot of people assume that I'm um, a coder or that I do whatever that like I live in a basement um and that i wear sunglasses when i'm at work which i actually do because that's the moment when you get to say i'm in and yeah. you know it's very important those moments are very important to us um but yeah so there are a lot of assumptions around it and there's a lot of kind of bored mystery which surrounds it and i can completely understand that because i have the same kind of resistant complacency if if i hear a subject that i don't know the jargon and feel alienated by uh it's it's a natural response it's like well i don't know what you're talking about it's another language to me so cybersecurity is another language to people and even to um to business owners who know they've got to do something because they do have um regulatory you know obligations that have to be met to protect their customer data and there is huge risk to startups um because the security is going to be good enough in a startup to get the mvp out but ultimately could put you in a dangerous position so i like to help startups with their security and uh, try to demystify some of that um especially uh helping people like individuals who've had their social media accounts hacked and from my position where i have quite a large network of, of people that i know somebody will say to somebody else oh well, you should talk to mooks if they've had a security incident and i'll be put in touch with people and a lot of what i do comes from um, reputation and recommendation i don't do like outbound um marketing for my security consultancy so 
on that basis, I get to speak to people who have actually been affected personally. And that is where the seed for unhacked has been changed because or been planted because it changes in my in my view that changed the perception of what needs to be offered as a cybersecurity product to the market is one which actually addresses the people and thinks about the people first rather than the technology. So I want to reverse the flow that we've got at the moment where we see cybersecurity is all about jargon. It's all technical. Uh, nobody will understand it unless they work in the industry, but everybody is affected by it. If you get hacked, it is extremely hard work to uh, to basically recover your accounts. To uh, but that, But that even then is on the technical side. I've done some psychological uh, analysis using data collected by the Office of National Statistics, which have shown um, a tripling in cases of depression after people's social media accounts get hacked. Now, that's completely understandable because our, our digital identity and our core identity that we walk around in the real world with, with are effectively the same identity these days. And that this merging of identities means that the mental health impact of getting hacked is substantially more uh, dangerous to navigate than it would have been when it was just, say, your uh, road tax or council tax account or something which is not linked to your identity. Sure. Sure. And do you feel that things are the way they are now, talking from a social media point of view? I mean, have they been designed to, to be that way? Have they been designed because social media companies want to increase um, accounts, posts, presence, they want to have as many people on there doing as much as possible. Um, do they purposefully, do you think, shy away from informing their, their end users about cybersecurity and making them more aware of it? Because it's not ever really something that you see in, as, as a message from when you go on Instagram, when you go on Facebook, Twitter, whatever it is. Rarely is it is it ever a, ever a warning of like keep your account safe. No, they want to keep you logged in as much as possible. They want to get you onto the platform using it as much as possible. Is that is that done by design, um, or is that just how these things have evolved? Well, the uh, the the background that I have in uh, usability and user experience work um, going back almost uh, twenty years now uh, has shone a light for me personally on like understanding where the platforms are coming from if during the account sign up for example you were prompted you're basically told you need to have two-factor enabled there would probably be a substantial drop in growth right. and right. because as you so rightly point out the growth and these growth metrics are what drives everything forwards on social media which means that if you introduce something which it obscures that growth and confuses the user, then the metrics aren't going to look good. So it's, it is by design, but it's not by design to make it insecure. However, there are, uh, there are instances, for example, I think about the, the WhatsApp backup functionality, which is by, by default, uh, unencrypted unless you turn it on. Um, or if you in Firefox, the credentials, have been unencrypted by default unless you specifically tell it to. Now, that is a strange design because that doesn't actually affect the user as such. That is, that's baked within the software. And it's, uh, that's a bit more, um, sinister. Like, why would, why would that behavior be desirable? Uh, because encryption protects your data. So why would it want to not protect your data by default? So I don't know the answer to that question, but, um, 
in the case of social media, it is all about growth, and the, uh, the there is a trade off between usability and security. And in order to uh, make the experience effectively as addictive and compelling as possible, the uh, the security aspect does get deprioritized. De yeah, for sure. And and from a consumer point of view. Um, or a user point of view. Um, why do you think so many people are seemingly apathetic towards online security? Like, is this? Do you think this is just a symptom of society being more open in general and people not caring as much about privacy as they used to, or is it purely ignorance on, on the part of, of end users? So, I think it comes. I think this this apathy, this complacency stems from in fact usability because right. so with the chase bank right when i log into the chase bank i don't have to type in a password i don't have to remember a six digit string so with natwest for example um logging into natwest you need to know your customer number which is a four digit number followed by your like followed by your, your date of birth now even that aspect means that people are going to have to write that down somewhere now, for me personally, I'm, I have uh, I have a, a trained memory for remembering long strings of numbers and letters. But for anybody else, they're going to write that down in a document. They're going to have to store that somewhere. And then if they have a security incident, all of that data is going to get exposed. And one of the things that I've seen in my work is that it is possible to gain access to everything through people just have no, having to note down their passwords. So in this this problem space, we can see two examples, right? One of them is that all I need to do to log into Chase is I just I just look at my phone and it will log me in. And you know I, I worked on integrating these systems and and building that in with NatWest. It was much clunkier, and you've got to remember this string of numbers, and then you have to know your PIN number, and you're basically having to enter everything in. So technology is making it easier because of what's called the trusted platform model. Now, the trusted platform model is that this piece of hardware, so for example, with my phone, when I hold my phone and it's my face on my phone, it's like, well, the likelihood of this being um, exploited is actually quite low. Not saying that it, it's uh, impossible, but it's just significantly lower than a string of numbers, which somebody has to write down on a post-it note or a document somewhere. So I think we will see um, a move towards more biometric security and identity and i i think that will help the, solve a lot of the problems however even then it that we're talking about banking so with banking security is a priority with social media the growth is the priority and the interactions are the priority so the the uh the roadmap looks very different and the horizon looks very different um that because it's going to be a, a case of also like addressing the fact that people are apathetic about reusing their passwords, which actually is an indicator that the security on the site that it's being reused on, it hasn't, it hasn't encouraged good security practice. And when good security practice is encouraged, like, and, and good design, ultimately good usability design, like that's, that's going to make a big difference. So the simpler it is for the user, because they, they won't be interested in doing anything other than the absolute bare minimum to log in because from a motivation perspective, they just want to do whatever the thing is that they want to do. So if a browser pops up and says, 33 of your passwords have been compromised while you're trying to book a holiday in Corfu, guess what? You're like, mate, 
You leave me alone. I'm trying to book a holiday in Corfu, actually. Yeah. Um, and many, yeah, you can, you can say that's reflected in many different scenarios, um, for sure. Um, but so how, how bringing this to, to kind of business on social media, I guess, I think we, we live in a world where more and more people are running their own businesses are certainly using social media as a platform to do business. Um, so even to transact through, um, I mean, what what are the consequences of getting hacked when you do run your business that way? Um, and you know, I, we touched on the kind of devastating personal effects that that can have. Uh, but you know, what kind of uh, what kind of impact can that have on a on a business which is run through social media? I mean, I speaking with friends who 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 are very much social media centric in how they work um, and use it as a very valuable platform for themselves. Um, they they basically say if they were hacked that would be the end of of of, yep. of their of their business um which yep. to me sounds dramatic but would you say that's accurate well the i, I the thing is it, it is quite accurate and the if, if somebody's what i call a digital storefront is effectively right. just shut down like imagine if um if somebody is able to go to let's imagine it's a, it's a physical shop and somebody's able to close the shutter on your shop, padlock it, and lock you out of your own shop, and you can't get in. What are you going to do? So there is extortion, um, which is fairly rampant. But then also, there's there's simply using these hijacked accounts to get other accounts and amass loads of them, and then use them for um, cryptocurrency scams. So it is a, a massive deal, and I think so. There's there's the business impact of uh of of an attack is uh, in uh, government statistics from this year but 40 percent of uk businesses have been affected by a cyber attack in the last year and that that number is not going to go down and that's 40 percent and the average cost of that is nineteen thousand four hundred pounds so the uh the strap line for for unhacked is stay unhacked it's like spend 20 minutes following a couple of things that unhacked will lead you through without any jargon save yourself 20 grand in trying to figure out what went wrong and how to get back into your storefront yeah yeah and what do you where do you how do you see like like you know you, you talk about what would you do if your physical if that happens to your physical shop i mean the, the easy the easy thing there would be like well you would, you would call the authorities surely and they would they would hopefully come and help you i mean what what kind of authorities exist um and what capabilities are there for authorities realistically to actually tackle these things like extortion for example when they happen i mean it is it, it, it seems like a, a struggle that is unwinnable uh, without the without the kind of involvement of uh, the users themselves from the start, making sure it doesn't happen, more of a preventative approach as you're, you're trying to take rather than a reactive approach. Because it seems frankly impossible that law enforcement could, could do anything uh, substantially to, to shut this down. That's right. That's right. And and I did a workshop um, with, uh, with some representatives from law enforcement who I was able to just kind of ask, like, what is it? What is it that can be done after a cybercrime is reported? And the like, the, there there are authorities. There's one called action fraud. Now, action fraud is how 
is basically part of Met Police, and it's how the police deal with cybercrime, which relates to fraud. So that's not harassment. That's not impersonation. As in, like, it's not just. It's going to have to have some kind of financial impact, which is fair enough. But what do action fraud actually get to do with that report data? Well, they're compiling statistics. They're trying to understand the problem space and they're trying to understand how they can respond to that. And, and um, it's a, a huge, huge challenge because, again, this separation between what is effectively lay people who are, in this case, the police and the uh, the victim of a crime who also may be a layperson um, means it, it's just a stalemate. It's not like they're able to like the victim is able to talk to an expert, figure out what the next steps are going to be, and that kind of guidance is something that Unhacked is going to disseminate. And it's going to be this has happened to me. What do I do next? And ideally, prevent it from happening in the first place by using Unhacked. But um, the, there are authorities out there, but ultimately there's this this whole cybercrime problem it's a it's a 69 billion pounds a year industry in the uk alone it's an enormous problem and if we consider what the resources are like in the the police for them to deal with something of that magnitude that's happening every second somebody's just got hit every single second it's it's it it's automated uh it's international and it is just a huge wave and it's not going to go anywhere. Yeah. I mean, I was going to touch on the, the how you see the differences in, in the attitudes towards this culturally in different parts of the world. And how do you see... Because realistically, if you, know, if, if you get hit by something, the, the, the reality is they're probably not in the same country as you. So what... And as you say, a lot of it's automated. So what what kind of collaboration do you see internationally between different bodies to help? Because surely that's the only way to be safe or to get well, it to get a safer place. It, it, does that kind of collaboration exist? Are there international bodies who are, who are working together, bringing countries together to, to collaborate on these things? It is a global issue, I think. Very the, much so. And I, the, from what, sorry to just to go on a little bit more. From what I've seen in different parts of the world, um, attitudes towards towards privacy and online security differ vastly. And in you know, you think people are apathetic towards it in the UK, Canada, or US, whatever. For example, you go to different places in in the slightly less developed world in in some instances, and and. It, you know, people don't care at all. You know, people yeah. hack each other. People hack their friends. You know, yeah. it's, it's it, it. They don't give a shit. Like it's it doesn't. It, it's their 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 attitude towards laws of any kind, um, or or even moral right and wrong is is is, is skewed. So if if that's the case in some of the world, and you've got to assume that those parts of the world possibly are targeting other parts of the world um which are slightly more uh i go i don't know developed in their attitudes towards these things unless there is complete collaboration surely there is there is little hope or is that is that not the case well i think that the uh the the key thing uh is about the the platforms that people are using 
So in an ideal world, there would be security controls on the platform which protect the users. As we've seen, there doesn't there doesn't appear to be a lot of activity uh, to basically to, to find all of the uh, threats on social media platforms. And that's probably because of the scale of the problem. Like it's so big to tackle and it also doesn't tie back to a profit center. There's not, there's not going to be uh, a sexy metric as such about growth in terms of getting rid of phishing links or spam. It's, it's like there isn't a, uh, there isn't a compelling case spending a fortune on solving that problem and it's a massive it's such a massive problem that i think these social media platforms are completely overwhelmed trying to solve it and when they try to introduce uh, better security controls they get a lot of resistance from the users when they reduce the security controls they get a lot of abuse from uh, threat actors it's it's a uh, it's a tightrope walk that I, I think they're trying their best, but it's the same as like when I was talking about the action fraud uh, unit. They are possibly just completely overwhelmed by the the amount of work that needs to be done, and also where's where's the uh, you know where's the money coming from to actually pay for that work? If it, right. if what's what's the return on that investment? <laughs> right, indeed. So bringing this around to making end users more aware, which I think is one of your goals, um, and getting them more involved in um, in engaging in their own security. How are you going to, uh, how are you gonna do that with Unhacked? How, do you, how, do, how are you gonna try to do that with Unhacked? How are you gonna engage people more? Uh, how are you gonna make it easier for people um, to, to be more secure? Um, and indeed, you know, you, you question where the profit is and, and stuff in general, and what the, you know where the where the value is in people doing stuff from a from a monetary perspective or a business perspective. But uh, you're you're building a startup, so you plan to scale this as a business. Do is there value in it, or is this going to end up being a loss making uh, entity, or is it end up is it just going to end up being a not for profit? What is your, you know, how, how are you, how do you, <clears throat> how are you going to get around these things? Um, so I think there, in one, sorry. there are, there, so I think I'll distill them. So ultimately it's like, how am I going to approach it? What's the end game? Um, I think also the third thing that would be worth addressing first is what is unhacked. So unhacked is a, a security, basically like a security, a security, um, helping uh product which is aimed at non-technical users it's aimed at people that don't have time to get hacked but also don't want to be and it just takes care of your online presence now what to to, to address what is unhacked also what i'll do is i'll just reference a uh there's a, a an article which was about a uh, a team that i used to run and there was on the public record that we had a 100% success rate of gaining access to high value data within two hours of beginning to target major organizations. Now that comes from 
us about basically what we would do is um, we would use fishing to achieve this in the first instance. And it occurred to me uh, that the hundred percent by fishing. By fishing, you mean contacting this person, finding yeah, out a piece of fishing. information about them under under the guise yeah. of something else, and then using that to exactly. Uh, so, so by fishing, that means sending somebody an email with which purports to be from somebody else, somebody or some some entity that they trust. And then they click on the link and the link asks them for their credentials, which is their username, their password. And at that point, we now have their username, password and are able to log into the target organization. Yeah. And that whole um, method would have been prevented by unhacked is what occurred to me. It's like so the, the products that I'm building would have meant that my whole approach that I had this public record 100 percent hit rate that would have stopped all of them. It would have stopped all, every single one of those uh, attacks that we did. There are ethical attacks, of course. Um, so Unhacked basically addresses from the hacker's perspective how we get into places and how we actually um, exploit the users of systems to get them to give us access. But then I wrap that around with my, um, my background in understanding people as a uh, as a social engineer and from working in user experience like and and as a curator caring about what somebody's experience is like how they expect to be communicated with and how to get the best out of the interaction now from that basis um that means that the unhacked product is not going to be a technical one nobody has to do anything or in order to receive the unhacked um benefits you don't have to do anything you just have to basically um, follow the account, and you, you get automated protection. Um, so, I mean, and how is it really that simple? And how how can it's, that? It's really that simple, and that's the thing. So, I'm I'm taking all of the FL. So that's that's one thing is that you get the protection, but also upon um, upon becoming an unhacked member, you'll just be given just like a, a little survey a short questionnaire and from your answers to that questionnaire it would just say okay well here's what you need to do just spend this is going to take you three minutes this is going to take you two minutes this is going to take you 30 seconds and you do those three things and the, you'll reduce the likelihood of you being hacked by possibly about 99 percent so google's figures about uh enabling two-factor authentication for example is that that's that's i think that's at 99 percent and once you get that one thing set up the likelihood of you being hacked it really really substantially drops and we already have addressed the the kind of uh, the, the cost uh, financial impact of of not doing that um is extremely high compared to like spending literally 20 minutes doing something like somebody anybody in your business could spend 20 minutes just following a couple of videos which will be crystal clear and then you're very likely to stay unhacked and then from that point on, you're also protected by Unhacked. So, and all of this is about engaging the user and communicating with the user in a way that they understand rather than in a way that is alienating and relies on jargon. So that's what Unhacked is. Um, and then how, how are we going to do it? Um, I think I included a bit of the how in there, but basically what I am doing at the moment is I want to understand everybody's story. I want to understand the stories from 
influencers, from small businesses, from individuals who have been hacked, individuals who have not been hacked. I think everybody at this point knows somebody that has been hacked. And I want to put a stop to that. And I intend to put a stop to that. And I intend to drive these numbers down using unhacked. And I will do that primarily by understanding the, uh, the, like the, where the complacency comes from. Where does the apathy come from? Be like, yeah, I know I shouldn't use password one, but I do, whatever. Um, and then telling the unhacked story in a way that mirrors the stories that I hear and finding the commonalities in my target market and where there is correlation between, say, an individual who hasn't been hacked and an influencer whose account with 2 million followers was shut down and finding out what are the pain points there and how can unhacked tell a story that basically resonates with people when they hear it instead of shutting them down and engaging more of that complacent attitude. And then the next point was, where do I see it ending up? Well, I think, as I said earlier, my, my, the most important thing for me is to, is to ensure massive coverage. I want Unhacked to help millions and millions of people, and I want it to do that for the minimum cost for a, somebody vending, uh, an entity vending on social media can be protected for a, a nominal sort of Netflix cost, um, which is a big step for a lot of freelancers, small businesses. They've currently got nada. So I would like to just elevate that from nothing to something which is actually quite substantial, but doesn't really cost anything. And I think that that can make a massive difference because it just gets the cogs whirring about, oh, yeah, I probably should take care of that. It's like it's so far down the to-do list. I just want to make it as simple as possible. So where I would like that to end up is, um, well, I would like to see it become a, the, the dominant security brand for the non-technical slash layperson and for business owners and for anybody that uses social media to do business, I want them to know that Unhacked exists and I want them to be a member of Unhacked and I want to keep their accounts as safe as I can. The noble mission, my friend, yeah. a noble mission indeed and uh, look forward to helping you in any way I can. Um, hopefully this podcast will do a little bit uh, for the three or four people that will hear it uh to to raise a bit of awareness um <laughs> but um if there's anyone that can do it mate it's you and i love you for what you're doing um thank you and thank you for coming on um and talking about it here thank you for being my first guest uh i really appreciate it greatly um hopefully that was interesting it certainly was for me um and yeah we will call that episode one uh, thank you, Moogs. Thank you, anybody who listens to this. And uh, we will see you again soon. Wonderful. All right. Thank you so much for having me on. No problem, mate. Take see care. Bye-bye.